Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome to Thread, episode 127. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Welcome to Thread, the leader's Bible study. Thread is a verse-by-verse study of the teachings of Jesus and the life of the New Testament church. We look for lessons that apply especially to our lives as leaders and as those who want to be more influential over the lives of other people. Well, today's thread is taken from Acts chapter 21, verse 17, through Acts 22, verse 21. And it's a really important study because in our study, Paul finds himself in a suddenly hostile situation. And it's amazing how, you know, sometimes you can see um, you can see a circumstance rising up. If you're paying attention, you can feel the pressure and you know, especially if you're a change agent and you're pushing for something and maybe you've got enough people now to really make noise and they bring it and they start pushing the old traditionalist group for change. And there's these, there are these moments where it's like, whoa, something's happening now. And it suddenly becomes hostile. Uh, I live in a mission situation, and I live in an extremely minority Christian population that has less than 1% Christians. And I have a, a very good friend who has a friend who was martyred, and it was just, I mean, this was a man and his boys, and they had gone, they're working with lepers in India, and they went out one day, and then they both lost their lives as a mob gathered around them in their sleep and uh, put firewood underneath their the van where they were sleeping and burned them burned them all to death. And so it's things can happen in this part of the world, especially where it, it could be a life or death situation, and it it just suddenly develops. Uh, or you may live in a, in a, a country where you're probably not going to have that happen, but you, you will have other uh, instances of conflict where suddenly things turn and it's like it, it becomes kind of ugly. It might even be in your family. Uh, it might be at work. It might be at school. It might be in your friendship circle. Because as agents of change, we push, and we push for a better future. We push for the kingdom of God and for what the Lord has in mind. And as we push, people push back because almost nobody likes change. And so here's a situation where Paul has, as in our last thread, Paul has been uh, convinced by James to go into the temple and to do a very traditional Jewish ritual of purification. And this thing uh, went on for, it was a seven-day ritual. Right, and he went with other brothers, and they went into the temple, and they shaved their heads, and they made a vow to God, and now they're purifying themselves and thanking God for being faithful. And as Paul is in the temple in chapter 21, we find that he he is encountered, and he he has people run upon him, and they are Jews that have been living in Asia. And when they see him, they start to shout, and they lay hands on him, and they say, this is the man, verse 28 of chapter 21, this is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the Jewish people, against the law, against this place, the temple. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple 
and has defiled this holy place. Now, that's not true. Verse 29 says, They had seen him in the city with a Gentile. Trophimus, the Ephesian, was with him in the city, and so they just jumped to conclusions and said, Oh, he must have brought him into the temple. The whole city was disturbed. The people ran together, seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that was that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, and he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done, and some among the multitude cried one thing and some another, so he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult. So he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. And when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after crying out, Away with him! Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? And he replied, Can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs, and he motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. There are times in your life when it falls to you to make a public defense. Either in your family, someone suddenly makes an accusation, or at work, or in the public eye, or in this case, in a large mass setting. Now, sometimes if you're attacked by other people, you can just keep your head down and the storm will pass. And if you get it, it's actually better to just uh, avoid the bull, you know, don't engage the bull. Uh, When I was a young pastor, I was living in the Philippines, and we started a church in our neighborhood. And the other religious group in our neighborhood pushed back very diligently against us and began to circulate uh, bulletins to all the people, 30,000 people in our neighborhood, and they began to circulate, and they they were slanderous the things they said. So I immediately, you know, took upon myself, I'm going to write the response and I'm going to answer everything they say. And one of uh, our, there were only 13 of us at that point, it grew into about 1,500 people later, but it started with 13 people and a volleyball game. And one of them was um, an Iranian Muslim who became a Christian when Jesus revealed himself by miracle to him. And so my friend Mansur and uh, Mansur said, partner, it's like, when he heard what I was going to do, what I was planning to do, he said, no, 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 you don't need to do that. He said, they, um, it's like in volleyball, and they're spiking the ball at you, and you just let it go. And then they spike another ball at you, and you just let it go. And he said, eventually, they run out of balls, and then the game is over. But if you hit it back, then they hit it again. So I think that's really important to start with is to say sometimes you just keep your head down and the storm will pass if you don't fool with it, you know, and many times that's exactly what you need to do. But 
There are other times where the situation demands that you respond. Your ministry, your reputation, even your safety and that of other people may be at risk simply from being misunderstood and misidentified by other people. You know, you need to get the right information out in front of the problem to help diffuse the energy and stop the misunderstanding from escalating. You know, in this short case that I read you already in chapter 21, there's three things that people are, are believing about Paul, and none of them are right. The first one is that he brought a Gentile into the temple. Verse 29 says it's not true. He was just a Jew seen with a Gentile. They would never do that. And he was openly fellowshipping with a Gentile in the city of Jerusalem, and people saw it. Uh, misunderstanding. Verse 34 said some people cried one thing, another, some cried another. There was this total confusion about who he was, what he had done, opinions were flying around, and then he finds himself in the arms of a centurion that's about to have him uh, beaten within an inch of his life, and the guy turns to him and says, what, you speak Greek? Aren't you that Egyptian with 4,000 assassins? I mean, where did he get that idea? Well, you know, in the police station where that guy lives, that's the kind of stuff that's on the wall, and that's what he's looking out for. The Jews, no one in the Jewish group said, this is the Egyptian. You know, there was no confusion to them on that point. They're confused about Jewish matters. But the point was, everybody had the information wrong, and Paul was being misunderstood. And in the case of the soldier, he was being misidentified. He wasn't even the person that they were after. And so there are times that you have to deal with this situation. Um, And... We have to become really good at this because conflict is not going away. And I know the church world the best because I've served it all my life, but most church splits are actually caused by the pastor's response to the pressure that comes from other people. They over-respond. They, they, they over, they under, they, they in some way misrespond to pressure. And so we, we need to become skilled. If we're going to be leaders, we're going to have these moments. There's going to be these times when you're misunderstood and your actions are misunderstood or something you said was taken out of context. And there's going to be this pressure moment that comes up. And we've got to become skillful in times like that. Now, if you've got faith to believe it, then believe this, moments when you have a chance to defend yourself in public are actually golden opportunities to testify and manifest the Spirit of Jesus into an arena where people are really listening with great emotion. These are pregnant moments when amazing life breakthroughs may occur. So I want to I walk you through eight things to remember when you have to defend yourself in public. Eight things to remember, and we get them all from this passage. Number one, first thing to remember, keep your head. And that's another way of saying, be calm. We really have to become better at dealing with conflict as believers. And Jesus has promised to anoint us to be peacemakers. He sent us out to be peacemakers. He sent us out to bring reconciliation, but you start that when you keep calm and get in control of your own emotions. 
call the situation what it is in your mind and disconnect from it emotionally before you attempt to go any further. That's why I put this as your very first step. You've got to disconnect emotionally. You've got to keep your head. This is really important, even in the home, because, I mean, in the home, we do our worst stuff. And in families where parents are at war with a child, uh, experiments that put cameras in those homes reveal that mostly these fights are started by the parent. Now, the parent will say it's the child, but it's the parent with this gross overreaction. And overreactions escalate situations. It's like killing flies with a hammer. And when you are suddenly in a charged environment, it's easy to just get charged yourself and you're jumping in and your emotions are fired up and you're hot. And But if we're going to deal with this effectively, we have to first realize where we are. I am in a charged environment. Calm yourself down Try to disconnect your emotion and become objective. Take charge of your actions. Don't react to them. You take charge of the situation when you take charge of yourself. So step one, keep your head. Now here's Paul, who has been torn by people. His clothes are ripped. He's been beaten. They would have killed him. So he's, you know, parts of him are bloody. He's been covering his head, I'm sure, getting most of the blows if he could on his back. He's got a busted lip, probably his eye. You know, he's a mess, but here's Paul, and they're dragging him up the stairs. It's, it's that heavy that the police are having to actually lift him up in the air and sort of crowd surf him out of that whole place. And in the middle of that, Paul is saying, hey, can I talk to the people? <laughs> this guy, he's good with conflict. I mean, look at his life. Paul was so um, experienced in moments of conflict. He took charge of the situation. He said, you know, this could be me running for my life, but I don't want it to be. That's not the story. I want to stop and take charge of this moment. So took charge of himself, and he took charge of his moment. Keep your head calm. Number two, watch your tone. Watch your gestures. Watch the tone of your voice. Keep things civil. Avoid using hot-button words that will close their hearts and close their minds immediately. Watch your own eye gestures. Watch your, the way you use your hands. When, uh, If you read, we're not going to read all of these verses because it's a pretty long defense that he makes. It's beautifully done. But the tone of it is what's amazing. Paul is so careful with the way he speaks. He wants them to listen to him. Okay, third thing. Use your energy to gain their hearing. You need to take charge of this situation. Summon all the energy you've got and use it to get them to listen to you. Paul hushed the crowd. He didn't scream at them. He just raised his hands in a high place, and they were quiet. He hushed the crowd. And as he was talking, as he starts to go into his, his talk, he's dropping words in to keep their attention. He wants them to listen. He, he actually drops a name. He drops Gamaliel. Gamaliel is like one of the biggest scholars in their whole world. They respect this man so highly. And Paul says, I was trained by Gamaliel. And so all the more they're going to listen to him. He's watching his tone. Now he's using his energy, and he's, he's focused on getting them 
to listen to him. He's not, you know, we used to call this this whole science speech. When I was, you know, in high school, that's what it was called, speech. And so they trained us, how do you say things in a nice way? How do you say it powerfully? How do you say it persuasively? We've moved so far beyond that by this generation. And now we are calling it communication because we realize it doesn't matter how nicely you say it. It matters what they hear inside their head. And so your focus has to become gaining their hearing. I want to get inside their head. I want them to be quiet. I want them to really listen to what I'm saying. I don't want to win. I don't want to beat them. I don't want to humiliate their speakers. You know, it's not that game. He really wants understanding. He wants them to listen to him. Okay, number four. When you have gotten their attention, the first thing you want to do is find some common ground between you. In this situation, Paul does five different things in seeking common ground. Uh, first in verse uh, chapter 21, verse 37, he spoke Greek to the soldier. Now, this soldier understood Aramaic. He was stationed uh, right there in, in Israel. This is the language everybody speaks, and Paul doesn't use that language. He speaks the soldier's language. He spoke to him in Greek, and the soldier was totally unprepared for that. Wait, you're not the Egyptian? You speak Greek? How can you speak Greek? It means you're educated. And it, it, it broke through. You know, you speak Greek, I speak Greek. We're an educated man, I'm an educated man. And that soldier took him seriously just from that one gesture of finding that common ground between them. Now, as soon as the soldier said, yes, you can speak to the Jews, did he keep speaking Greek? No, he immediately switches to Hebrew. That's their heart language. And the scripture says, when they heard that he was speaking in Hebrew, they became hushed and focused. It really matters that you know the heart language of your audience. And so Paul has switched to Hebrew. He's now in their heart language. Look at chapter 22, verse 1. He opens. Now, these are the people that have been beating him, and they want to kill him. And Paul opens the first word that comes out of his mouth. He says, brothers and fathers. He's using familial language. He's saying this is a family misunderstanding. I've been beaten by my brothers. This thing is being orchestrated by my fathers. You don't understand what's going on. I am one of you. You are my brothers. You are my fathers. He uses a, you know, a humble family common ground position. Fourth thing he does, verse 3 of chapter 22, Paul says, I am a Jew. He's speaking to that group. Man, that's so important to them. He says, I am a Jew. I am from this city. So I am I'm a common ground. I'm a homeboy. This is my town. I was raised in this city. I am just like you. And then he says, I am zealous for the law just like you are today. When, and he, he starts into his story, but he's letting them know, this whole zeal for the law that you want to kill me over, I get it, man. I am exactly out of your stock. I am like you. And later on, as Paul gets into his story, 
and he cites um, the man that laid hands on him, he's going to give his testimony. That man's name, uh, name is Ananias, and Paul says Ananias was devout according to the law. You know, he, he keeps this Jewish mm, tone, this Jewish theme going, at common ground, common ground. He just stays on it. Okay, number five, be sincere. Everyone in that crowd is going to read any attempt you make to either minimize yourself. You know, like sometimes people, they, they do something, and then when you hear them tell the story, they call it a mistake. And it just makes everybody mad because if you'd own it, we could forgive it, but you don't want to own it. And so you're going to minimize it. You know, you got to be sincere. Also, manipulation. If they can sense that you're trying to, you know, you're trying to work them and you're trying to spin this somehow. When you, when you read Paul's words, it's a beautiful speech. When you read Paul's words as he stands on the step, you just get the sense that he is absolutely and utterly sincere. He is a, a man bearing his heart before these people, and he wants them to hear his heart, and he's pouring it out. And, and he wants understanding. You know, he wants community. He doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to beat them. He wants them to understand what's in his heart. Be sincere, number five. Number six, nail down the objective facts without emotion. This has such a great effect of uh, dissipating tension in the air. When Paul gets on facts, he just starts nailing down planks of facts. I am a Jew. You know, he's misunderstood. People don't know who he is. They don't know what he's done. And Paul just goes down the list. Now, he's not being reactionary. He's not saying, these are 12 things you said. I'm going to answer you all 12 things. He is in charge of his own communication. But he is nailing down objective facts. You can check with uh, Gamaliel. You know, you can check with these guys. You can check with the high priest. You can check with, he, he is quoting people. He's telling them who can verify his story. So you nail down objective facts. Most people won't bother to you know, to fact check you, the fact that you came out with it and that you told them how they could verify it, for most people, it's enough. They're not even going to look into it any further because you took away the suspicion out of their mind. That's number six, nail down objective facts without emotion. Number seven, use storytelling instead of arguing your opinion. Now, Paul's got lots of doctrinal differences. You know, he says, I am a Jew. He is a Jew. He's born a Jew. But Paul has changed a lot since he, he says, I was raised by Gamaliel. I was trained by Gamaliel. But he's changed. He knows Jesus. His whole paradigm is blown up. His whole idea of what the Bible was about has changed. His whole view of even who Jesus is. I mean, he, he, he tells him openly, I used to persecute people who believe what I believe right now, but this is why I believe it. And he tells it not as doctrine versus doctrine and logic versus logic. He doesn't want to fight. He says, let me tell you my story. And he does this three times in the book of Acts. He's going, the story of Paul just keeps getting retold because everybody will listen to your personal story. And Paul understands that. So use storytelling and keep it personal. And number eight, trust God to use the situation no matter how it turns out. Look, just because 
you get a chance to have a public defense does not mean you're going to win. You may actually, at the end of that, lose your life. I mean, Paul had been exactly where that crowd was. He had been in their shoes when it was Stephen who was standing there defending himself. Paul was in the crowd, and Stephen had lost, and he was not able to turn the heart of his attackers away from their plan to kill him, and Paul even held their coats while they murdered him. But Stephen's words, his manner, his testimony, it affected Paul, and he he has to tell the story. Even when he is telling his own story, he has to tell about when Stephen stood very near that same spot years ago, and he was in the crowd, you know, ready to kill. It changed him. You see, you have to trust that God is going to use the situation. Maybe he's going to allow you to get away, or maybe everybody's going to, you know, half the group is going to see that you're not so bad after all, and they're going to listen. Or maybe you're going to totally lose, and there may be people listening to this podcast, and you're going to lose your life for Christ. That is the highest honor any Christian can be called into, and it's happening once again in the world with renewed energy as militant groups rise up and behead Christians by the hundreds um, on beaches and in other places. There are times that we lose for Jesus, but you have to believe that God is going to use this situation. If I get my chance for a public defense, I can't use it to attack my attackers and call down curses on them. I have to try to get them to listen to me so I can give them my testimony because it's not about me and it's not about a happy outcome for me. It's about Jesus being glorified through my public defense, and I want them to be turned on to Jesus. Even if they kill me, or even if I lose my job, and even if whatever happens to me, I don't want to turn them off to Jesus. I want something to echo in their heart that they can't get away from. Just like in Paul's case, how Stephen, instead of dying cursing everybody, Stephen says, I see heaven open, I see God, and you know, everybody's screaming and yelling. And Stephen's going, Lord, don't, don't charge them for what they're going to do to me. And then they kill him. And Paul observed the manner in which this man died. So public defense is an awesome situation. If you get put into it, just understand this is something that happened to you by God's will. And take confidence and stand up and do your very best job. Uh, follow these eight things and you'll do a better job in those circumstances where you are called on to defend yourself as a believer in a public situation. Well, I've gone a little bit over my usual time, but I just think this is a really powerful passage, and I encourage you to read all of chapter 22 and learn for yourself how Paul faced his moment of having to stand like this under so much pressure. Well, if you haven't done it already, please go to MediaLightOnline.com. This is an amazing new resource Uh, This is our place where we want to gather you guys and we want to talk. You're going to meet people that have the same heart that you have. They want to influence a generation from all over the world. So this is your chance to join the network and also by becoming a member, and it's free, you get access to all of our members-only training. And we've got, like I said, 100 videos to train you and help you grow as a communicator for the gospel. 
Well, if you, if you want to contact me directly, just write me, chuck at That's all for this time. Expect God to use you today. See you next time on Thread.